a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. 137 is the time. Right now, taking place in Orlando, Florida, is the annual CPAC conference. It is where uh, conservatives get together and share messages with one another and with the public. CPAC 2021 uh, taking place right now. Uh, earlier this morning, uh, Utah Senator Mike Lee had time at the microphone, spoke for, I think, about 14 minutes or so and talked about uh, liberty and the Bill of Rights and tyranny and many other things. Uh, also speaking, of course, Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, later on in the program, I'm going to share with you an excerpt from the remarks delivered by Senator Cruz, where he, in the span of 47 seconds, makes reference to Star Wars, Star Trek, and Ghostbusters. <laughs> in only the way Ted Cruz can. I'll, I'll share that with you later on. Plus, we'll hear from uh, Senator Mike Lee on what he uh, had to say, and we'll share with you some of his words, of course. Uh, other Utahns involved in this year's uh, CPAC 2021, I believe uh, I believe it's tomorrow uh, in the afternoon. I'll have to double check, and if you're following this, maybe you can fact check me, 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, Utah Congressman Burgess Owens participating in the event, speaking at this year's CPAC. Uh, a third Utah, a name and face you'll recognize, uh, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz will be participating. And I, I believe that's the sum total. I think it's Lee, Owens, and Chaffetz. Those are the three participating in CPAC right now. And on Sunday, I believe it is, Sunday will be uh, the first uh, real public appearance by former President Donald Trump as he delivers remarks uh, in Orlando, Florida, as part of uh, this year's 2021 CPAC uh, convention. Josh Hawley of Missouri speaking right now. He's uh, focusing his remarks on big tech and pointing the finger of blame at the uh, growth and influence of big tech on uh, Washington's failure to keep that in check. That's the, the claim of uh, Senator Hawley right now. And you'll remember uh, Senator Hawley took a lot of fire uh, during the the attack on the Capitol from January 6th. Uh, he's the senator from Missouri who is shown in that one uh, snapshot of time with his fist in the air. And for that imagery, uh, he has been uh, he's been judged pretty harshly, um, you know, warranted or not. And that's up to you. Uh, anyway, sorry, that's all a tangent. What I want to talk to you about now is federal architecture. <laughs> Can you think of two more boring words thrown together? No, I know, I know. But it's Friday. And I don't think the bosses even listen on Friday, so I'm free to indulge in my in my in my rabbit holes and the little things that uh, excite me and interest me. This one has to do with dueling executive orders, and I hate that that's the case. You know how much I uh, disdain or how much disdain I have for executive orders, in particularly the abuses 
of the powers in the executive branch right now uh, and the president's ability to sign executive orders. Uh, well, this one, you know, th- th- this one was signed by President Trump near the end of his term, and it's the one that dealt with the uh, the aesthetics of federal buildings. Uh, he and others were of the belief, I am as well, that many of the newer federal buildings are kind of like boxy and metallic and unimaginative, and they don't necessarily convey the, the regal status that ought be afforded uh, a federal building. And so it was that he signed an executive order uh, calling for essentially some, some, some standards to be placed in the process of constructing new federal buildings. Well, uh, the, the update on that is that <laughs> President Joe Biden the other night decided, eh, you know what, don't like that one, uh, let's get rid of it. And so now uh, we kind of go back to the way things were, and who, who knows what the impact would have been. I, I'm unaware of any federal buildings that were designed and uh, stood up following President Trump's executive order on the aesthetics of them, uh, and then prior to you know the uh, rescission of that same Executive order just the other day, uh, but what this whole and, and so that's just a silly thing. Uh, so we'll see. You know, keep your eyes open. The next federal building that goes up, if you, I don't know, whatever. If you follow federal building architecture, this is interesting. What it did though was this story gave me an excuse to indulge in, <laughs> in that pastime of mine, which is reaching back into history and reading old newspapers. Uh, and this this one's pretty interesting. And what it illustrates and demonstrates is that. The views and the opinions formed by by what federal buildings look like have been stirring the pot for uh, over a century. Over a century. I'm about to read to you uh, an article written in 1912 about the retirement of a man named James Knox Taylor. Have you ever heard of James Knox Taylor? I'll tell you what, you have about 30 seconds to get your uh, to get your Text message in 57500. Who was James Knox Taylor? Well, anyway, uh, he retired from his position in 1912 and published in the Salt Lake Telegram in a March edition of that publication. The following was written about James Knox Taylor. Let me read it to you, uh, then I'll, uh, I'll give away the answer, and then we'll take a break. The retirement of Mr. James Knox Taylor from the Office of Supervising Architect of the Treasury ought not to pass without an acknowledgement of the single public service rendered by him during his incumbency. He has held the office since 1897, which is to say for a longer term than any of his predecessors. Now listen to this part. It is possible that Mr. Taylor has rendered signal service to the government, but those who have watched the federal buildings that have been put up in the last 10 years throughout the country will read of his retirement with dry eyes because he has succeeded in building some of the ugliest public buildings that belong to any nation on earth. Any nation on earth. They give one the impression of a man with a fixed idea and without the slightest elasticity of mind. As though a change would be a crime. Some of the buildings throughout the country are merely little monsters. So long as the old Corinthian or Tuscan models have been strictly followed, the buildings are all right. But when a modern architect tries to make an innovation for the sake of saving money or getting an added room, as the rule has been during the last few years, the result is a monstrosity. The meanest feature of them all is that they give people an impression 
that the designer had deepest in his mind the thought that anything will do for those outsized, half-civilized states. <laughs> anyway, pretty harsh words for poor old James Knox Taylor. Imagine being the, uh, the man or woman responsible for supervising the architecture at the federal level today. Uh, I, I did go back and look at some of the examples of, of his federal buildings. They're not all that bad. There's a post office in Buffalo, pretty regal looking. Uh, Niagara Falls, New York, there's a post office there. Looks nice, got some good columns. Uh, there is a U.S. Customs House in Richmond, Virginia. That looks all right. Looks like a nice little building, as well as a handful of others. Not too bad. Not too bad. But there you have it. Pretty scathing criticism from that Salt Lake Telegram publication from 1912. All right, listen, thanks for going down that little road with me uh, and indulging in my obsession with old newspapers. If you, I'll tell you what, I want to I find those who are really interested in these newspapers. If you, if you, on your own, dig through them, you find something interesting, if you find, uh, you know, the few that I share here on this program interesting, do me this favor. Uh, s- send me a note, 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. You got a link to some cool story, uh, send it this way, 57500. Quick break. When we return, we're talking about donations given by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Tens of millions of dollars in the battle against the coronavirus. Tad Welch with the Deseret News joins me next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.